Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, you know when I have guests on, they are game changers, they are changing the world, they are thought leaders, and this young lady that we're going to talk to today is doing both. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, veterans that I, the people that I have sponsoring the show are 100% veterans, 100% of the time. So I want to thank Ginger and David of Really Designs. <clears throat> they make all my swag, all my t-shirts, American made, and they do amazing work. And they are both veterans. So thank you, Ginger and David of Really Designs. If you guys love swag, you definitely need to check them out. Guys, if you need to just get a piece of paper, get a pen, because I think this episode is going to knock your socks off. And this young lady, we just became acquainted through some friends of ours, Tom Dorney, and we're on a podcast together. So I'm so grateful that she decided to take the time to hang out with us today. Miss Aaliyah, how are you today? I am blessed. How are you? Uh, every day I get to wake up is a good day. God is so good. So how's your day going? Um, my day is going great. Actually, I woke up this morning, so I can't complain at all because some people didn't make it this morning and I did. So I'm just going, I had another day. I have another day to bless somebody pretty much. I, I love that. So we're going to, we're going to deep, get deep into your story. <coughs> um, first of all, I want to thank you. First of all, for being a sister in Christ, I say thank you. That's the most important thing. And then I also want to say thank you for your service to this great nation that we have the honor and privilege to live in. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you were raised, and what you were like as a little girl. Okay. I'm born, raised, and as a kid. Okay. Um, so I was born in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I was kind of raised here and there. Um, we started, my mom is from New Jersey. She's from Richmond, Virginia. So I was in between um, Richmond and New Jersey growing up. And then um, at some point, um, I went to live with my dad um, when I was about eight years old. And he lived in Washington, D.C. And he's a Vietnam Marine Corps vet. So um, me and my brother um, grew up with him. And <clears throat> pretty much... Um, from there, after D.C., we went to we moved to a little small town called Rocky Mount, Virginia, and that's in Franklin County, Virginia. So I finished my education um, and graduated from Franklin County High School in um, 2000. And I went to college. Um, I went to Ferrum College. I was the top 10. Um, the, I graduated top 10 percent of my class. So the military wasn't my only option. So um, I went to college and just got there. And I was like, you know what? I really need to find myself. I'm not happy here. <clears throat> so I, I left and I went to the, the Marine Corps. Um, and as a kid, I was just the type of kid. Um, I was raised by um, a large family. So um, my sisters played their part in my life, um, helping mold the strong person that I am today. And the men in my life, my brothers and my dad and my uncles and things like that, they were um, very stern. My uncle was in the Navy. Um, so growing up, you know, I was always, a lot of times I was told that I couldn't do stuff being a female 
you know, um, but my dad and a lot of my brothers, they always pushed me. It was like, don't listen to other people. You're great. You're going to be great. So just do what you need to do for other people, you know, do things that you need to do for yourself. So I always had that mentality. And I broke a lot of barriers growing up as a kid, um, you know, because I am a, a woman of color, you know, and there's a lot of barriers that, that, uh, that, I just can't even believe how many barriers I broke over the years, you know? So um, even still to this day, I'm just trying to pave way, the way for other women and um, and everyone. I just want everybody to love everybody, you know? So um, tell me about, because I love <clears throat> um, hundreds of people now on my shows. Tell me about your recruiting story because everybody has a different recruiting story. Okay. So my recruiting story, um, I was just talking to the the girl that was supposed to be my buddy. I was supposed to go in the Marine Corps on a buddy system um, with one of my cousins. And, you know, the, you know, you get all these promises of what you're going to get. And, you know, I was supposed to do things and I had college credit. So um, I was supposed to automatically be promoted. But my, my recruiter was a drill instructor at Paris Island. Um, and she was a um, woman of color as well. And she was a staff sergeant. So, um, me seeing her, you know, it, I was like, I've never seen like a female Marine, especially one of color, you know, and, and that just gave me like really hope. And when I had a lot of promises and I, when I went in, you know, she was checking up on me, um, and calling up to Paris Island a lot. So I stayed on my face a lot. You know, I had a lot of attitude because, you know, when, when you're a strong will woman and you have integrity and you know i'm stern and i stand up for what i believe in they seen me as like a problem so you know i i it was very hard in boot camp because there wasn't a lot of women of color it was probably four of us and they were really hard on me but i didn't let that deter me from from finishing you know so i just did the best that i could um but my recruiter you know she was a female um but she didn't prepare me for the things that i was gonna you know withstand while i was in the marine corps you know <laughs> now you uh went you were a gulf war veteran correct yes sir so what was that give me a little bit behind the scenes of going to um going to war but not only that, but being a, a a female and being a woman of color, what was that like going over there? Because it, it's it's different. People don't realize that it's different when you're here and you're in the rear with the gear. But then when you hit, you know, when you get into the sand, it's a whole different world. So take us to behind the scenes when you're over. I mean, honestly, you know, back back then, like after uh, September 11th, when all of that happened and I went in, you know, I didn't know what way, whether we were going to deploy or not. Luckily, my unit did not have to deploy and I never got a chance to deploy anyway, because while I was at my first duty station, that's when I uh, started uh, de developing those. The, the MST started when I was at my first duty station. So being that all of that happened, I never even got a chance. I was not trying to go anywhere overseas with the platoon of Marines that I was with because those were the ones that were hurting me. You know, so I never got a chance to go in the sand because being I was the only black female in my my platoon um, and in my office. So 
I caught a lot of like issues, you know, they didn't even like my husband, you know, they thought he was a thug or a gangbanger because he was Hispanic. So, you know, I had a lot of issues at my duty station. So I never got a chance to go over. I wasn't trying to go anywhere with those Marines, to be honest with you. So, I mean, and I know this is not an easy thing to talk, talk about, but it needs to be talked about because there's a lot of women and some of personal close personal friends of mine, like Annette Wittenberger um, and Tammy Moses are friends of mine. They've struggled with the MST and it's finally starting to come out and we're starting to get, get some help for some of the, and it's not just females. It's also males that deal with military sexual trauma. So talk to us, you know, you don't have to go in detail because that's not what we do, but you know, an overview of what happened and then how did you start to be able to come back from dealing with the MST issues? Okay. So my very first duty station, I was stationed at Cherry Point, North Carolina, and I got there in um, May of uh, May 18, 2002. And I, like I said, um, I was a PFC when I got there. Um, I got meritoriously promoted, like right after I got there to Lance Corporal. But when I got there, um, you know, you can feel the atmosphere. I'm big on energy. And it was like a bunch of men in there and they were like really thirsty. You know, you can see them kind of drooling at the mouth. And I'm just like looking at them like they don't even know who they're dealing with, you know. So I stayed to myself. But um, there was uh, a Lance Corporal at the time. He was a Lance Corporal. So he was over me. And, you know, he was saying little things out of his mouth to me um, talking about because I didn't live on base. Um because I was married and me and my husband lived off base. But one day after PT, you know, he was like, well, you don't have to take a shower in, in the locker room at, in the office, you can come to my room, you know, and take a shower with me. And that's where it began, you know, and when I reported it, you know, I was pretty much treated like I was the problem. Like I was flaunting myself or like I was just being too womanly around them or something like that. But um, it went from there to I had, I had been assaulted um, not more, more than one time. Like, because that same Lance Corporal, he, became, he, he got promoted. Like the same month I got promoted to Lance Corporal, he got promoted to Corporal. So now he's my NCO. So, and then they changed the office around. He's like whispering over my ears and, you know, and um, from there, you know, it went from, I reported it, you know, to uh, a master sergeant that was a female and she treated me like I was the problem. You know, she made my life miserable. Um, she did a lot of like inhumane things to me. But um, and when I found that she was not the person I needed to go to because I felt that she just was not looking out for my best interest, I went above her and I, I reported it to my doctor, which is a mandated reporter by law. So when I did that, my doctor in turn, I'm thinking I'm 19. So I'm thinking that these people are helping me, um, but they're not. So she starts um, giving me some medicine to calm me down. So pretty much she was drugging me with some mind altering drugs, you know, to try to keep me quiet from, you know, telling my story because people could get in trouble. And I'm like, why am I being, you know, why am y'all giving me medicine? You know, but it, it's just really hard, like going right back to the same place 
where the person is saying something to you. And it's not just him, it's other people, my platoon sergeant saying stuff to me, like calling me out a formation when we're marching because he's watching my butt, you know, saying I'm switching, you know, it, it was just a, a lot of harassment. And then I was pretty much um, a target the whole time I was at that base. Um, everywhere I went, there was Marines saying things to me and, you know, everywhere they sent me to, I was being physically assaulted and raped, you know? So I was a target from the moment I got on there and, and they really covered their tracks. You know, um, every person, I even went to the chaplain, you know, because he was a man of faith and I'm a woman of God, you know? So when I told him, he just pretty much told me that, you know, I need to keep it to myself because, you know, they don't look, um, uh, they don't look good upon um, like tattletales pretty much. And I'm like, these people are doing stuff to me that they ain't got no business doing to me. You know, so when I would try to get on the phone and call my family, you know, they're over my shoulder. If I go outside to step outside, they're, you know, calling me and they're looking like watching me pretty much. It's like a stalkering thing. They were stalking my husband and um, threatening me um, if I said something that they was going to do stuff to my husband. You know, it was it was a complete nightmare being there. Um, you know, I was even put in the brig because um I had failed a year analysis, one year analysis. And I don't know how I did that because the weekend before I was eating their food. So, you know, I was already being drugged by the by the doctor for saying something, and I'm I'm still being raped the whole time. I was at Cherry Point at from May until January the following year, and the whole time I was being raped by different Marines. And every time I, I spoke out or tried to get help, you know, my master sergeant, she made it worse, you know. So at that point, I just was just trying to get away. And I did get in touch with my dad and my dad is a Marine. So they couldn't like really deny him access to the base. I didn't even know he was coming. And my dad pulled up. I got the family that pull up on you. OK, so when my dad felt that something went right, he pulled up. And that's when they knew they had a bigger problem because they were stereotyping me. They thought I was just some type of random ghetto chick or something from like the hood, but I wasn't, you know, I was brought up in a very respectful family, you know, and um, that, that whole situation was terrifying to me. And I'm glad that, that I end up getting discharged. Um, it, they illegally discharged me because I didn't even get a DD-214 for a year and a half um, afterwards. And I had a lot of injuries um, and my command was deferring a lot of my, um, all of my medical treatment. So to this day, for the last 18 years, every injury that I got in boot camp, combat training, um, any, anywhere on those bases, I, I've never been taken care of. Um, the VA denies everything, you know. Um, so me trying to come back after I got out of the military, you know, they pretty much took everything from me, made even the car that I had when I got went in, you know, they made sure that I didn't even have that. I was homeless. I was pregnant when I got out, you know, um, my marriage fell apart, you know, my whole life fell apart. And, and I, I, the only thing that, that kept me is the fact that when my son was born, I promised to him that I would never, you know, let him go without, I, I won't let him hurt the way he did. And I put the military behind me, anything military related, like gave me PTSD. I had PTSD. I mean, I suffered trauma after trauma after trauma, you know, and I didn't know what mental health was. I didn't know about PTSD because I thought the military was taking care of me, but they weren't, you know, and I got out and I got community health um, help.
you know, I had to get on Medicaid and just to have insurance to have my son, but they, they helped me, you know, they made me feel a little bit better. And I started learning more about mental health and I put myself in, in therapy um, about 13, 14 years ago. And I had to like rebuild my whole self because I didn't trust anybody. You know, if I can't trust the the Marines or tr trust the people that have that were drilled in our head to have honor, courage and commitment. And they don't even know what that the definitions of those are, because that is not who they were. You know, so how can I trust anybody else? My, my trust in humanity was gone. You know, so I had to rebuild myself and it took me a long time. And I hit I hit my head against the wall so many times. And, you know, I could have gave up. And, and the only thing I, I didn't give up because of my children, my children have been my strength through it all. So I knew I couldn't give up because of them, you know, so. So talk, I, talk to us about where God plays a part in your life. Talk God, about God has always played a part in my life because, you know, growing up, my dad was a Vietnam vet. So when he came back, I didn't know he was suffering the way he was, but my dad wasn't always the right my mom was going through things. So the only one I had to depend on was God. So I developed a, a close relationship to him when I was a little girl. I was probably about four. And I, I really um, developed a really stronger bond when I developed after my grandfather passed away when I was six. I stopped talking for about a year because I just didn't. I, I just sat back and watched things, you know, and when I started talking again, I started singing. And then my mom, she dropped me off at this church one day, one of a church in our community and for, for choir rehearsal. And I learned like some songs and I, I, that's when I learned that I loved, you know, I loved everything about God because when I sang to God, I had chills up my spine, you know, and I felt better. So that gave me hope. So I always stuck it out with God and, through the whole ordeal in the military, you know, you know, they were so crucial on women of color, you know, and the only thing I could do was pray every night, every day. So in boot camp, Sunday to Sunday, you know, I went to every, like every religious um, gathering because that's the only time we had away from the squad days, you know, so I went to the Catholic services. I went to any service where God was present because anywhere where people are praying to God, then you can feel the spirit of God there. So that's what I did all through my military career. And even to the point of getting out, you know, the only way I, I, I survived that and I didn't commit suicide, like was because of my strength with God, because so many times, you know, if I was weak minded, I, I could have gave up, you know, but I wasn't going to give those people the satisfaction because I had work to do from God, you know. So even even up to this day, you know, God plays a, a strong part in my life. If it wasn't for him, I, I, I wouldn't be here right now. I can't do nothing without him. Now, is the, the VA helping at all? Do they help at all with for people that are dealing with MST issues? The only thing, like, I didn't even know, I knew about the MST, I, well, I didn't know about MST, I knew about sexual harassment, like, once I became, like, a, a certain age, but MST, I didn't even know that existed, like, that That was the term that they was going for, you know, um, I didn't learn this until, like, the end of last year, like, December. So they do have MST um, related services. But what I can tell you, because I'm I'm linked at the one in um, Salem, Virginia, 
they don't really cover much and they give you the runaround on everything, you know. And if you were put out with a bad conduct discharge or any type of OTH, you know, you you running through hamster wheels, you know, like they won't it, it, you you're treated like like a second class person. And like even me, I had to call the White House yesterday because I'm done with the way they treating me. You know, I it, it's ridiculous. Like I had I sustained a lot of injuries trying to fight these men off of me. You know, I had to throw hands, you know, to, to keep myself safe. And I sustained injuries with my hips. And I just got an MRI finally covered after 18 years, you know, from the VA. But I'm still waiting on an orthopedic consult that's been in since February, you know, and they, they have the MRI results back, but they won't even like sit down and, and have a discussion in, in plain English of what's going on with me. And we'll we go from here. So right now the VA and me and the VA is not good. The one in Charleston, because I came from the one in Charleston initially when I did my VA claim. And when I did my VA claim, that CMP examiner kind of slammed me and made sure that my stuff got um, that my stuff got denied. You know, he was talking to people within the Marine Corps about me. But the reason why they denied me was because they didn't have a release of information. So that was a HIPAA violation. And they and they getting away with it. Like, it, I mean, everything. They're talking about they're going off of my records. I worked in the CAC, which was a central administration center. Okay, so they held everybody's service record books. You know, so when I left out of there, they could have put anything in my records. That's why they, they've been ruining my reputation for the last 18 years. I can't get loans. I can't get anything like the VA. The whole system is not worth anything right now because they make you like go around hamster wheels. Like you can't get a, a if you have an OTH, you can't even apply for disability for your PTSD or anything, any type of medical issues until you get your stuff upgraded because they're going to kick it back. And you can't get your upgrade if you don't have your records. And being that the coronavirus is out here, now they're playing the, oh, we're, we're closed type thing. Um, they only allow like for emergencies for death. So I've had to make a congressional inquiry like two, three months ago and still haven't heard anything from anybody because I was on the phone with them yesterday. That's why I'm to the point I got fed up. I called the White House. I am over the treatment uh, that I'm getting from this country, from the VA. I was good enough. Nothing was wrong with me when I entered the Marine Corps at 18, 19 years old. Now I have all these health issues and they won't even do anything to help me. And when I do try to seek out some type of help to help me, they try to block that. They're in the background. That's why they still in the, they still in the Marine Corps covering their tracks. So now, what would you say for to females or even males that are joining the military now about keeping track of all their records of and, and keeping paperwork? All right, let let me tell y'all this: you keep anything that you sign. That's a contract. I don't care anything you put your name on, anything that they have on 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 their side. You better make sure you have a copy and you keep accurate records. Um, you make sure everything is filled out correctly from your name to everything, your social. Um, and even after then, you know, me, a lot of these errors I didn't catch at 19. I went back and redid an audit, y'all. 18 years later, because my dad is a 50 year old Marine and I found discrepancies in his records. OK, so that made me go back and take a second look. So always look at your stuff and keep records of everything. And I and, and know that you're not alone. And 
even if you're when you're not um if even until you're strong enough to come forward and start fighting for yourself because i know you're scared you know there's people out here like me i'm a mom you know and right here i'm out here advocating for all the babies out here that suffering this mst vanessa gee and all of them um corporal tate ooh i'm i'm out here so don't be scared but keep accurate records of every single thing everything and always be vigilant and watch your back so now you know obviously you're out there you're helping a lot of people right now so if if somebody's struggling and what is some things that they can do to get help you know not only mentally but also to get spiritually and physically fit um you have to change your your diet and your the and, and exercise like the things that you're putting in your body is is key to a healthy body and a healthy mind and a, a healthy spirit, you know? So if you're a big like junk food eater and sweets, like you got to cut that out and put some fruits and vegetables and cut out some of the meat. And I need you out here exercising, get out here and walk. Even when you feel like, Oh, I, I don't want to get up. You know, I have my moments where I don't want to do nothing, but you know, you got to get up and live. So get up, go outside, get some air, go take a walk. If you got a dog, go, Go, go take your dog for a walk. I need y'all to get up and I need y'all to get active. And and then um, find your own circle because I know your trust is gone. You know, you don't trust people, but there are good people out there and you just have to rebuild your, your, your strength and humanity. So God will bring those people in your life, but you need to, you need to find your village. You need to find specific people in your life that bring different things in your life. It may be somebody that's going to talk to you about relationships because you have to learn how to build your relationship with yourself and love yourself first before you can develop relationships with other people. So you have to start building your circle of people that can help build you up when you feel all the way down because there are people out there just even as somebody to just to sit and talk to you or listen to you at three o'clock in the morning. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Build your circle. Um, and as far as like, um, Try some meditation, find some um, things. Oh, oh, always. One thing I did learn, always have your toolbox. So when you have triggers, at, if you have PTSD, depression, any type of mental health issues, um, find you have triggers. Try to learn what your triggers are. Write. You do a journal, like do a mood journal, you know, write down those things. Write down your diet, the things that you're eating, some of the things that you're eating, you might not know that's affecting you. So do a food journal. You know, um, spiritually, um, just try some meditation, put some um, calm music on and block out everything and just try to ground yourself to Mother Earth because people forget that we're grounded to the earth. You know, so you need to block out everything, all energy, positive, negative. You just need to get you a, a, a space and and just rebuild yourself. You have to rebuild your mind. You have to let go of a lot of stuff from your past. Everything from your past, every trauma you've endured, everything that ever hurt you. It's hard to say, but this was the best advice. And I'm going to share this with y'all. The best advice that my stepmother gave me, and she's the closest thing I know to God. So she said, you have to let go of the hurt, the pain, and the malice in your heart. Because if you don't, it will ruin you. It will follow you. And you will always live in that regret and you'll never be able to live. It's harder said than done, but you have to let that stuff go so you can live and use your traumas. I use my traumas that I endured 
and I'm using it to help heal other people now, you know? So I found, I found my purpose through my traumas. You know, and I love that, you know, that your mess becomes your message. And I was just on a radio, radio interview a couple minutes ago and they asked me, you know, what is something people can do? And I said, there's three things that somebody can do. Like I've been in recovery for 32 years now. I've been sober and haven't had a drink or alcohol. But the, the thing, three things I had to do to change my life was first, I had to forgive people that hurt me. Then I had to ask for forgiveness for people that I've hurt. And then the biggest one was having to forgive myself for some of the stuff that I did. Or, you know, like when we deal with trauma or if we dealt with abuse, we took the guilt upon us and we felt guilty, even though we were not even that we were not to blame whatsoever. So, I, like you said, I think you have to uh, really when you're dealing with the trauma, you have to deal with the issues. You can't just keep putting it, you know, putting it in your pocketbook, putting it in your pocketbook. If you never deal with it, then you're never going to get healthy. Now, I got to ask you, how did you become an advocate for uh, breast breast cancer and lung cancer? Ooh, okay. So I am an advocate for breast cancer and lung cancer. Okay. I'll start with the breast cancer first. I lost my sister recently um, to breast cancer. And it wasn't until my dad was diagnosed to lung cancer that I kind of linked both of them together. My dad was a Vietnam vet and um, he served in Vietnam. So, you know, they came into contact with the ancient orange, but I was born in the 80s. So I'm young. I, so he kind of old school. OK, so I I didn't know about that. They didn't teach us about that in school. They didn't have videos. They didn't have YouTube or nothing, you know, so because I'm kind of old school, too. So. Um, and then when he went to Camp Lejeune, they had a uh, contaminated drinking water at Camp Lejeune. And my dad wasn't notified. And my sister, she was the first child born from Vietnam um, back in the late 70s after my dad got out of the Marine Corps. So we were never notified. But my sister developed breast cancer at 42 years old. And I found out in February and she was gone by May. You know, so that was completely devastating. So from there, I was like, I was hashtag save the next sister. Like I, I need to make sure all women are out here and women and men checking and make it doing monthly breast exams. And, you know, and if you find a lump, if you can't afford to go somewhere, I find places in your community, you know, that'll provide you that mammogram or whatever you need so you can survive, you know? So I've been out here advocating ever since I lost my sister because I lost a part of my heart. And with my dad, you know, he has lung cancer, from his his exposure to herbicides and that contaminated drinking water at Camp Lejeune that affected millions of civilians and um, Marines and Naval personnel that still don't know that they've been, you know, uh, that was a lot of toxic chemicals in those waters, you know. Um, so that completely threw me off. And with my dad getting lung cancer and he's still surviving, you know, he just did his last chemo. Um, the Monday before last. So um, I, there's a lot going on with him, but that's what made me start advocating because, and you have to let people know what they're exposed to. So the more research I did on my family, well, the, the bases that my dad was on and including the bases that, that I was on, you know, even Cherry Point had um, like chloroform and arsenic in the water. And those are in DOD, uh, DOD, like, 
documents, public records, you know, so to to not know what your family's been exposed to and everybody's having these like illnesses and the doctors can't figure out is not linked to your history, but all along it, it, it came from our service, my dad's service or my services. So now I'm out here advocating for breast cancer and lung cancer and just fighting to live because who knows when my last day is because I don't know what I came into contact with. I don't know what's going on in my body because the VA won't touch me, you know, and then the doctors out here, you know, they got some type of flag on my record, you know, so I'm not getting the best care, but right now I'm out here advocating to save my life and save other people's lives. So now, you know, we, we got in contact with in uh, convened communities. So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about convened communities and how, it's helping you and it, and it's helping others. Um, well, what can be convenient? I did not even know. Thank, I thank God for Jody Watkins um, with the breaking barriers because she got me linked up with like a dynamic team of individuals that are just, we're all on the same goal. Everyone just wants everyone to be well and they come together and bring their resources together. And, you know, just, you know, it's just love and we're spreading, they're spreading love and they're just trying to help others that are in need. And I, I thank God that I came into contact with them all. And, you know, like I said, you know, every Wednesday at two o'clock, we have our smoking and joking um, where we all get together and just hang out. Just a bunch of brothers and sisters BSing like we used to do. And, and it's just a way that we can let down our hair and just, even if it's just for an hour a week, you know, just spend some quality time with each other. So last two questions. Um, if, if there's some females out there that that are looking for you to mentor them f- to, and to also maybe speak up for them, how do they find you? Oh, you can find me, honey. I'm everywhere. I'm public. Okay, so you can get y'all pen and paper. Okay, so I do. Um, I'm a the owner of Pure Romance by Aaliyah. So you can reach me on Pure Romance by Aaliyah on Facebook. That's my business page. I also have Instagram, Aaliyah Fitz L A L I Y A F I T Z E L. Um, and also I'm on TikTok, y'all. I'm on TikTok, Pure Romance by Aaliyah. Um, I'm everywhere. Um, Snapchat. Um, just y'all can reach out to me. Um, I can give you my pure romance by Aaliyah Fitz at gmail.com. Reach out to me. Um, Facebook friend request me, text me who you are. I will help you. I will stand with you. I will mentor you. I just want you to be healthy again. And there is hope. I just want you to keep on holding on. I want everybody to hold on. Y'all are going to be okay because people out here like me, I got you. We're going to, we're going to get through this. So reach out to me. I love you all. Okay. So last question I ask everybody, um, because I ask a hundred people, I get a hundred different answers. We're in a crazy world right now. We're in COVID-19 where we got parents and we got grandparents teaching kids, homeschooling. Some parents just working two jobs just to put food on in their kids' mouths. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they probably not going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if you, if there's a female out there or even a male that's struggling with their past traumas and they want to get help, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get help? 
there's mm, call on God for real. That's the best thing to do. He's the first in command. Other than that, you can call if you're a veteran, you can call the crisis hotline. Um, my main thing, I seek, I seek uh, God first because he's the, the ultimate healer, you know, but not everybody has that connection. But reach out to somebody. Tell somebody you're struggling. Anybody, you know, some even if it's me, reach out to me. You know, if you're struggling, reach out to me. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to put all your contact information into, yeah. into the liner notes. Aliyah, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and hanging out. Um, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for your friendship. And I think you're changing the world one person at a time. Guys, like I said, I want to, I want to thank our sponsors, Ginger and David of Really Designs. If you love swag and T-shirts like I do, they make the best quality T-shirts in America. And they're American veterans. So, Leah, have a beautiful day and God bless you. And I can't wait for this to go out. I think this is going to change lives. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, for inviting me to your show. And I want to thank our sponsors as well. Um, without you all, I wouldn't be here. And peace and blessings to everyone listening. And there is hope. And I do love you. And if nobody else tells you, I love you always and forever. Oh, God bless you, sister. Have a great week. You too. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.